And our next story comes to us from our friends at the Outside Podcast from Outside Magazine. Okay, the storm was an unusual one in that it involved um, really hard-blown sleet. Phil Broskovic's story begins on the side of a cliff in Colorado, 1,600 feet above the Gunnison River. He and Joe Callahan are asleep on a hanging platform they assembled on the wall. They're five nights into a six-day climb. Joe and I did an, one of the earliest ascents of a route uh, in the Black Canyon of the Gunnison, which was considered the hardest wall in America at the time. It was 1990. Phil was 32 and at the peak of his abilities but not for all that much longer. So we went down there, and for five days, there wasn't a cloud in the sky. It was beautiful temperatures. And at about four in the morning, life took a different turn, and I woke up to the worst storm I've ever seen. And I w- we were in the middle of it. And we waited for the dawn in terror, and there was nothing to do but climb. You're climbing for your life. You're not climbing because it's fun. You've got to get off of this thing. Anybody who's ever been around a lightning strike on the mountain, whatever, you can hear the charge build. You can hear the crackling. You can hear the buzzing build up. And it was deafening. I was buzzing. I was humming. My entire, you know, everything was just... Um, you know, just, but, and then it discharged this bolt. And I mean, this bolt uh, hit the river, hit the river 1,600 feet below us. And I mean, it's like, if it does that, why didn't it take me out at that time? Why didn't it take us both out? How do you, how do you make sense of that? I'm just groveling up this thing, hands and knees and elbows and teeth and everything, and I get to the railing, and I just start going a little berserk. I sounded like a longshoreman on steroids. I, was, I came up with cuss words nobody ever heard. I grab handfuls of the loamy earth, and I rub it all over my face. I throw it in the air. I grovel my hands and my shoulders. And now I've always had this fantasy of doing some spectacular climb and meeting like a supermodel and having an affair. And I get there and I'm groveling and I hear a giggle. <laughs> and there's this beautiful woman. And I ask her, I said, how long have you been there? And she said, long, long enough. enough. If it were one of those other unbelievable stories, Phil's close call would have led to an affair with a woman at the top of the climb. But that's not actually how lightning or life works. He never saw the woman again. In fact, shortly after that, Phil's climbing days came to an end. Complications from a knee injury led to total knee replacement surgery. He was one of the youngest recipients ever. And as he was recovering, he moved in with Julia Hallaby. Julia was a friend from college. Maybe a little bit more than a friend. I guess the term they use now is friends of benefits, but we didn't say it back then. Of course, they fell in love, got married, and had kids together. By all accounts, they had a good marriage, and his daughter Amber said that Phil was an exceptional father. There's the fun parent and, you know, the strict parent. 
and my dad was always a fun parent. So that was Phil for more than a decade. By the time his kids were a little more grown up, his leg had healed, and he was ready to start climbing again. Which brings us to Wyoming in August 2005. So this, it, it started as just one of our regular camping trips that we went on. Phil and his family are climbing at Vitavu, a stack of smooth granite that juts out of the prevailing Wyoming flatness, like a stack of blocks on the carpet that someone forgot to put away. It's just north of the state line, about two hours from Boulder. It seemed like a normal Vitavu day or a normal climbing day in the fall. Beautiful blue skies and, you know, colors on the earth and all that kind of stuff. We went up to um, this climb called Edwards Crack, which is, for me, very easy climb. When it started getting cloudy and started getting dicey, nobody was upset, nobody was fretting, really, at the time. Um, it's like, oh, the rain's coming, we should take a break. And by that time I was nervous because it was already thundering. The storm started rolling in quicker, and I started to try to go. For some reason I had an urge to get back to my mom. And it all happened. If I go there, I can remember it in, to the smell. I can remember it to the cellular level. You know, they say your life flashes before your eyes. Well, it took forever. As best as anyone who was there can tell, lightning struck the rock. And it just... And it traveled down, hopping out of the granite and into Phil's body splashing him with a massive dose of electricity. Hanging off the rock, Phil saw a huge blast of light, heard a sound like a grenade, felt a thousand wasps stinging him from the inside. The blast threw him off the ledge he was on, and after it was done, he hung there on the rope, totally limp. I I ran to my mom, and we were all crying out and screaming out for my father to respond, and he wasn't. It felt like 15 minutes, but I think it was really, in reality, two or three. And he said, I'm okay. I'm okay, I'm okay. I think that's the first thing I said. And, um... Phil lowered himself to the ground, and they all took shelter from the storm. And in that moment, he seemed basically fine. No burns or bruises or smoke coming from his ears. Phil works as an electrician. Which, yeah, that's pretty funny. But it also meant that he was familiar with what electrical shocks usually look and feel like. They burn the skin, almost cooking the flesh. But lightning is different. Because of its speed, it doesn't have time to do a lot of physical damage. It's more like hot potato. The thing is, is if there's no blood or broken bones, you don't think that it's that serious. He was not necessarily himself, but he was not not himself either. But the next day... I woke up, and my body hurt. I mean, if I stood up, I couldn't stand up straight. I was crumpled almost, you know. Uh, And just, I mean, I felt like my hair hurt, my fingernails. It just was, you know. And then I remembered, I started... After the initial strike, every lightning victim is sort of on their own script. But a lot of people try to shake it off. The one that caught me first was when I just started realizing I couldn't control my body temperature. He would be like, it's so cold in here. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? And I've, I mean, prior to that, I mean, I was almost immune to the cold. I mean, I was the guy out there that you look at like, oh, idiot, put a coat on, you know. 
or vice versa in the winter, we're all like, you know, cold and have like the heater blasting and he's sweating, wearing shorts, (laughs) wearing shorts in the middle of January, like. It took a long time to realize that something was not firing or sending the right message. And that was that was probably the most obvious when, you know, for a decade, the man had kept me warm and he no longer could. But even more obvious were the mental problems. Phil would try and write something down and be completely stumped trying to spell the word the. It's like all of a sudden a relatively intelligent person is talking as if he was like a blind blind monkey slapping at the keyboard. You can't make sense. I wouldn't be able to remember what I just said just now. In the weeks and months after the accident, Phil's behavior became more and more erratic. The calm, competent, thoughtful old Phil had to share family time with angry, nervous, short-tempered Phil. Sometimes he would go into what he calls fugue states, a kind of mental dark period in which he was confused, pissed off, and hypersensitive to light and sound. You become a bag of shattered glass, really. Uh, everything would bother me. The, sli- the noises like that the trinkling in the, in the water or the stepping on stairs or something like that would just have me on my teeth on edge, you know, wanting to, like, you know, just snap. How would you cope in those moments? I would cope by finding a fetal position in a dark corner and waiting for the world to go away. We were having dinner one night, and as always, me and my brothers, we started to bicker. And next thing I know, he literally drops his fork. What is happening right now? Pushes the plate away from him and stands up. So angry. such a fit. fight all the time. Go away. And he literally couldn't even talk to us. What do you mean you can't talk to me? He couldn't even look at us. He couldn't be around us. And I remember I kind of went to my father and see if he was okay, and he said, go away. And that's when I kind of like stood back. I was like, there is something wrong. It's just not who I am, but I couldn't help it. Eventually, Phil and Julia came to the recognition that he was just not the same guy. They divorced in 2012. I, I don't doubt that lightning changed him. And I just think that we weren't as, as suited to each other after that. In Boulder, when the sky turned gray and clumped with storm clouds, Phil would be overcome by anxiety. Little things could set him off, too. The thunderous sound of a rolling garbage can could bring him to tears, for example, or the flash of a strobe light. One time, in the grocery store produce section, the lights started blinking, and a thunder sound effect played to signal that the vegetable misters were about to turn on. Phil had a breakdown. You go into these cycles, you drop into the abyss and you pull out of it, and the fear becomes that the next time you drop into that hole, you're done. You're gone. Can I ask uh, maybe just an obvious question, but why don't you go somewhere that doesn't have the storms? (laughs) That's a good question a lot of people ask. I live here. I breathe here. I've traveled a lot of places and have dug a lot of places, and there are other places I've lived and have enjoyed. I come back here, it smells right. It feels right. I can't explain it other than um, it's home. So if he was going to live in Boulder, 
Phil had to find a way to make peace with the lightning. He developed coping mechanisms that kept him calm, and slowly he started getting better. He couldn't be out in a storm, but after a while he'd be okay sitting it out in his car, and he could function after it passed. The thing was, just as Phil got better, the lightning in Boulder got worse. This has been a really bad year. This year in particular has probably set me back three years, maybe more. Lightning storms that year got bigger and badder. So did thunderclouds. In Boulder, storms are coming over the Rocky Mountains almost every afternoon. To Phil, it seemed like they were coming for him. Every day was another five-pound weight put on my back. And, uh, you know, by the time the, the summer rolled in and the concert at Red Rock rolled in, I was primed for a massive meltdown. You know, it was sort of a last-minute deal. My, uh, my, my girlfriend got sick. David Rothstein is one of Phil's close friends. And I just sort of thought, well, maybe Phil will want to go. I said, oh, let me think about it, and I hung up. And I got, went online, and the weather indicated it was clearing. It was going to be 10% chance of storms and clearing. And so I called him up and said, yeah, let's go. I hadn't been to a concert at Red Rocks in a long time. Because, you know, that's this outdoor amphitheater, and it's exposed. By the time we got there, it was packed, so we had to park way down at the bottom by the box office. And the first band had already started, and um, we hiked up and got our seats. And I'm looking at these clouds going, wait a minute, this isn't really clearing. I was looking at the hogbacks with another storm front moving in, and they started to collide. And I could feel it. I could feel this tension building. David, even before the lightning, recognized I was nervous. I was getting uncomfortable. He could see that I wasn't watching the stage of the band. I was watching the sky. I mean, we had been talking, and, and he had been saying that he was rattled, that, that it was really starting to get to him. You know, I was like, wow, this is really cool, man. And I looked to my left, I think, and, you know, Phil's on the ground. I mean, cowered down, um, and really, really obviously... Uh, you know, he was terrified. Everybody else is standing up and dancing and having a good time. I don't want to stand up. It's like the hair is is lifted up, and I'm, but I literally, against my all of my will, all of my will to be as heavy and gravity bound as possible. I'm standing up. I'm finding myself standing up. I can't believe I'm standing up. And as that's happening, the biggest lightning, single lightning bolt I've ever seen in my life levels the ground. And when it discharged, it was like the strings had been cut and I crumpled. I just flopped to the ground. And I was start. I was shaking, and I could just see. I'm tunneling in. I'm tunnel visioning in. I'm starting. Within that, a heartbeat or two, there's a woman who's wrapped her arms around me. Yeah, I just saw this man sitting, and just shaking. You know, just kind of curled in a ball and shaking. So I I stepped down one bleacher and and sat down next to him and said, hey, man, are you okay? (laughs) He said, no, I'm a lightning strike victim. 
I said, oh, wow, you know what, I am too. He was like, oh, you know, where, where were you? And I said, Vidavu. Only person I could think of in the universe that could have gotten me to snap into focus for self-rescue was a woman who was also struck in Vidavu ten years after me who was standing right behind me. Chris Norbrayton was struck while guiding a group of middle school girls. She had an experience eerily similar to Phil's. You, you ref- refuse to use the word coincidence with uh, Chris finding you. Right. And uh, what word do you use? Okay, first off, it's not unusual that people in this area would go to the similar, have similar musical tastes and go to a concert that was going to be a cool concert. Not unusual. Not unusual that in that crowd there might be a whole lot of people who climb. Maybe not unusual, there could be a couple of lightning in Colorado, a couple of people have been struck by lightning. Okay, I can get all those things. But to be struck on virtually the same rock formation in the same climbing area and to be standing back to, you know, back to front, that's just too hard for me to say, oh, well, that's just random coincidence. What word do I use? Thank you. Grateful. I can't put a concept word to it. Try to understand is all you can do and work with where you're at. A few weeks after the concert at Red Rocks, Phil was working at a job site and the storm rolled in. He dropped his tools and ran to his car. In the video he took, it's pretty clear where he's at, which means he's not completely lost. Had a meltdown. I don't drink booze. I don't do drugs. Except coffee. I've been through <clears throat> 13 surgeries. Dealt with a lot of pain. And I am not a pain pill junkie. I'm not a lost soul. I am a productive individual when I'm together. But I'm not together right now. It's hard to explain what it feels like to be a constant target. It's not like people have a fear of heights, which you can deal with if nothing else, by staying away from them. Being afraid of the sky, where are you going to go? Stop. version of the story originally aired on the Outside Podcast from Outside Magazine. 
Their first season investigates the science of survival and is supported by PRX and the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. To hear more episodes from the Outside Podcast, find them on iTunes or visit their website at outsideonline.com slash podcast. The original score and sound design was by Robbie Carver. The story is produced by Peter Frick Wright and Robbie Carver. The production assistants by Liz Mack and Leon Morimoto. Yeah.